cars toppled, buildings entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I, I really need to leave. So the fences inform me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Iridium Mobile Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the explosive Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? I am sleepy from all the tryptophan, which makes no sense because I didn't eat any turkey. So <laughs> I, I don't get it. I don't understand why that's happening, but that's, that seems to be what's going on. It's a it's a psychic wave that's traveled across to our nation of, of so. all the tryptophan comas that were induced, including my own. So I fell asleep watching Jurassic Park 2, which... Uh, <laughs> that's, that's easy to do. Decided, uh, we, we finished up Thanksgiving dinner, and we're all sitting around and just chatting, and the TV's on in the background, and Jurassic Park came on. I guess it was some marathon. My daughter's like, what's this, Daddy? And she's eight, and I'm like, yeah, why it's not? sequel, honey. <laughs> no, no, this is part one first. Oh, okay. And I'm like, uh, I'm like why not? This has got a, you know, it's got a, it's got a little girl in it. And I'm thinking, okay. She handled it quite well. She was very scared of the Raptors. Sure. Um, she, yeah, she made it all the way to the end. Now I think about it. Yeah. So, and then I stayed up with my family, just goofing around watching, talking more than anything, but watching the second one and just fell asleep, knocked out. (laughs) Rightfully so. That movie's terrible. Yes, it is. Has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today though. No. We are back for another review episode. We do these once a month where we review the new issue of Aquaman. We review an issue of classic Firestorm. We, th- we thought, why not talk about Aquaman and Firestorm for once? Woohoo! I know. It's been, what, weeks since we've done that? <laughs> I, think it's been, I think it's been a month since the last one. So, obviously, ratings will go down this week because we're actually talking about our title characters. But anyway... Before we do that, folks, we do want to take a second to thank our sponsor, In Stock Trades. In Stock Trades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off, with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, Rob? Uh, I want to tell a little story just as a prelude to, to why I'm going to recommend. A couple of weeks ago, um, I sent a request into IDW. Uh, my friend, uh, my friend Chris Royal, who was one of the muckety mucks over there. Uh, my parents are big involved in like Irish culture, like Irish dancing and all this stuff. And they have a family friend. They have some some family friends, and they um, 
they have a little, these friends of theirs have a, a little girl who is around 10 who is slowly going blind. Mm. It's a genetic thing that she inherited and she's slowly going blind. And this little girl loves My Little Pony. Like just all like like a million little girls loves My Little Pony, and she loves the My Little Pony comics. And because of the way of her vision is deteriorating, it's easier for her to read the comics than it is read them on a tablet. I guess there's something about the way she has to like hold them or something like that. Well, it might be so, the, the light too. The way that, the light that's goes. right. I think. Well, I think it's a combination of all those things. So anyway, it, this came up, and I said, "Well, why don't I look into?" seeing if IDW will send her some My Little Pony comics because, like I said, I already knew Chris. He has a story in Hankett's Comics, and he's a great guy. And my parents said, oh, we think she'll love that. So I sent an email over to IDW, and I said, hey, explain the situation. And I think I sent them the request, like, Thursday afternoon. This little girl had the comics by Monday. Mm. They sent her, apparently, a giant box of My Little Pony comics and stickers and, like, just filled it to the brim full of stuff. And I was just so impressed by that. I'm like, IDW, class act. Wow. You know, I was so – I just was so touched by that. So for the next couple of recommendations, I'm just going to be doing IDW stuff. (laughs) I mean, they already put out great stuff anyway, so this is not hard for me to come up with things. But just I, I'm kind of IDW focused because I think those guys deserve extra shout out because that is great, great behavior. Now, so now it's fair to say also um, some of those IDW My Little Pony comics done by one of our own listeners. That's right. That's right. We're not going to say who it is. <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. Mr. Tom Zoller. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, so I'm picking uh, Steve Canyon Hardcover Volume 1, which reprints – incomplete black and white and color, the original strips by Milt Kniff from 1947 to 1948. This is a hardcover book. The page count is 336 pages. The normal price is $49.99. In-stock trades price is $29.99. These are from these Library of American Comics offshoot that IDW has. And if any of you out there have ever bought any of these books or just seen them, you know they are beautiful. They're done in the original aspect ratio, so the books are horizontal, not vertical. The strips are shown as they were originally appeared. They are just beautiful. They have done such a great job on these things. So if you're a fan of comic art or just Milton Kniff or Steve Cannon in general, pick these up because they're just absolutely beautiful. And the cover has Steve and his giant fist punching somebody, and you can't beat that. I'm such a huge fan of Milton Kniff. So give this one a try. Steve Cannon, Volume 1, only $29.99 on Instock Trades. Very cool. Well, mine isn't. Uh, you always hit these amazing, heartwarming stories when I have an incredibly shallow <laughs> story. I really appreciate that. Uh, this week in Aquaman that we're going to cover, there is some wonderful moments between Martian Manhunter and Aquaman, which sort of throw back, or at least for me, a reminder of them in the old days, especially in JLA Year One, which is a great story featuring Martian Man, uh, featuring the Justice League in their very first year as a team. And there's some good Martian Manhunter Aquaman moments in the book, so I decided to recommend that book. However, it's not on in-stock trades. So, move on to my next option, which was uh, I'm currently reading, for my own pleasure, uh, the trade paperbacks of X-Men Forever, which is when Chris Claremont came back to the X-Men book. And it's it's bizarre. He came back in, like, the, I don't know, what, 2004, maybe, and just picked up the story that he left off in 1990 or so, and just picked up as if nothing, as if all those other issues of X-Men had never happened. It's hilarious. And it, it, they're a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying them right now, so I decided to recommend that. That's not in the stock trades right now either. So, instead, I just <laughs> looked up X-Men books by Chris Claremont and found one of my favorites that is there, folks. So, all of this is going to this. 
<laughs> you need to pick up X-Men Trade Paperback, The Asgardian Wars. This is awesome. You guys know I love me some Alpha Flight. And this thing's all up in the Alpha Flight. You got X-Men. We're talking classic Claremont X-Men. We've got the Alpha Flight in the good old days, Alpha Flight. You've got New Mutants. You've got Art Adams artwork. You've got Paul Smith. As I said, Claremont wrote it. This thing's all... you got Loki. Everyone loves Loki, right? He's a big Avengers villain. Anyway, it collects uh, X-Men and Alpha Flight 1 and 2 from 1995. Also, it's got the New Mutants Special Edition number 1 and... No, wait, that's not from 1995. It's the old one. Doesn't matter. Not get into the details of it. Go get this thing. <laughs> I think they made 1985 is what they actually meant. Yes, because I remember buying that suit. I, I have both issues. I think I have it a couple times. I think like I got it, and then I think family gave it to me as a gift as well. But anyway, 248 pages, all in color. Normally retails for $29.99. You can get it for 45% off right now for $16.49. Hell of a deal. So get the Steve Canyon. Is it Canon or Canyon? Canyon. Canyon book. Get the uh, get the X Men as Guardian Wars book. Get yourself some good comics and curl up by the fire with a hot chocolate because it's too damn cold out there. And uh, it sure and is. So again, uh, our thanks to In Stock Trades, your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to forty five percent off with free shipping for orders of fifty dollars or more. So first things first, uh, I think we need to talk about some green guy from Mars and another guy who talks to fish. Yes, uh, Aquaman number 36, which is part two of the Maelstrom saga. Uh, we are once again by Parker, Pelletier, and Parsons, and Barreto. He needs to change his name to Pareto so we can just keep with the alliteration. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Aquaman, well, this particular issue is the subtitle is Possessed. Uh, this issue opens with Aquaman busting Volko out of jail. And he drags Volko over to uh, the crypt of his mother, which, of course, was empty, as we saw in the last issue. He demands to know what's going on. I thought you said my mother was dead. And Volko is like, I, I'm, I thought she was dead, too. I believe, you have to believe me. And, of course, who's going to believe Volko? Because, we've, as we've seen in previous issues, he's a big old liar. But we find out that Aquaman has a sort of trump card to play, which is Martian Manhunter. He's there in disguise, and he's probing Volko's mind to see whether he's telling the truth, and Manhunter says, yes, he is telling the truth. So they decide to investigate what exactly happened to his mother back uh, when she, supposedly she died. They go to the Nautilus Theater, which is a, sort of a big, uh, you know, it's like a big movie theater sort of in Atlantis that used to be despite the site of some grisly battles back in Atlantean's more uh, rough past. And they do an old-fashioned thing where they basically use Martian Manhunter's mind powers to project a vision of what happened that night, the night that supposedly um, she died. And we find out from Volko that the whole thing was a plot conceived by her and Volko to spirit her out of Atlantis because she was sort of falling out of favor with the people that were running it. We see that it, it involved a, um, a decoy corpse that was used to show everyone that Atlanta, Atlanta had actually died, Thought it proved to everybody that Atlanta had actually died. Aquaman is like, what the hell is going on here? Because Volko is confused, too, because there's parts of it that he didn't understand. They follow this trail into the catacombs of the theater, and uh, they use that runestone that they had in the previous issue to try and find out what else is going on. Manhunter is overwhelmed by all the information, all the souls, all the electri electromagnetic pulses and whatever that run around in Atlantis, and he is taken over by some sort of 
series of beings and he explodes into some sort of like angry monster him and aquaman get into a giant fight they manage to subdue manhunter uh by dragging him down into this lava pit and of course flame is like the number one uh what's the word i'm looking for with the number one hmm? weakness weakness of course weakness of the martian manhunter that wakes him up and it sends all the other creatures out of the manhunter's body and then they at the end of the issue they tow their back on Aquaman's ship, and they're like, what is going on? We don't understand. Manhunter says, focusing on Atlanta, I saw a structure inside. I thought she was holding very strongly. I get the sense it might be a large, might be near a large map. Is it familiar? He projects this vision. Aquaman sees what it is, and he says, it's a portal. And that is next, the lost colony. And that is Aquaman number 36. <laughs> Super very short version. Uh, I, I thought it was great. I... I I, we've talked about in previous episodes, I'm not a fan of obsessing about the past. Fathers, I don't care about that stuff. And you would think that for the most part I wouldn't care about this because, it's again, it's the past. But for whatever reason, Parker Parker's making this work for me. You're a mama's uh, I, boy. Maybe, yeah, maybe so. Um, but no, this is – there were so many things I liked about this. First of all, I love that Manhunter is in it. I love that Aquaman brings Manhunter into it like an old friend. That reminded me of the old days of the JLA where the heroes helped each other out mm-hmm. stuff, which I thought was great. I mean, as far as I know, these two really don't have much relationship in the new 52. Well, because Manhunter's not in the jail. But he was. They revealed early on in the Justice League that Manhunter was admitted to the team and it didn't work out. But I don't think they've ever established how long he was on the team, though. Right. I mean, they don't have, like, the decades of, of friendship that they did in the old book. True. Um, but, I mean, I love that that part is involved in it. I loved the sort of old-timey murder mystery thing of showing the crime as it happened, which sort of reminded me of those movies from like the 30s where the detective would round up all the suspects and say, I'm going to now explain to you how the murder took place. And then they do all that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, that whole sequence is all in black and white, mm-hmm. which is nice. I just love that little detail. I'm going to assume that was maybe Rain Barreto's work. Nice job. And Mira gets more to do. She helps rescue Aquaman out of the fire pit, which was great. You do get to see Aquaman and Manhunter fight a little, which is always – you always have to do that. If you're bringing in the heroes, you got to have them fight. But it was nice that it's Manhunter being taken control of by some monsters. It's not Manhunter actually fighting Aquaman. So it's like you sort of get get the fun of the fight without having it being two heroes actually being mad at one another. Um, I I said I – every month I strain for something to talk about. Because I just don't have any sort of like critical commentary to make. I've just really been enjoying this. It really, they're doing a really great job, and they're just continuing on with that. Well, I'll echo your sentiments. <clears throat> I thought it was a great issue. Really enjoyed it. I do have one critical thing, um, and it's a minor quibble. It really is. I just felt like Aquaman's mother is a little hard to distinguish from Mara once you strip the color away. Mm-hmm. I just thought maybe maybe it could have been. I, she does have a different thing going on with her hair, and her clothes are slightly different. But I think if you were to give her a different hairstyle or something, she might have been a little more distinguishable. But otherwise, she's the girl, the pretty girl with the long flowing hair who's in aqua clothes. You know, so it's yeah, they, I see what you're saying. Her yeah. and Mara look very similar. Other than that, really enjoyed the issue. There's actually some good intrigue in here too. One thing that got glossed over that I'm still trying to figure out if I'm reading this right. Uh, we find out Atlanta isn't that her name? Mm-hmm. She married a guy named um, Orvax, which, by the way, sounds mysteriously like Corvax. I wonder if something's going to happen there. But she marries Orvax, who treats her pretty crappy. Yes. 
Now, Orvax is murdered on Orm's 12th birthday. Right. And then, like, just a couple days later, they have Orm's birthday celebration anyway? That's the part that I'm struggling with. Am I reading that right? It happens on, like, page 7, where he gets murdered in the top panel. Right. And then it's just a day or two later, they have a big party for Orm's 12th birthday. It just seemed like... Atlanta, de- Atlanta decided to have the ceremony, his ceremony a few days later anyway. Royals always use the theater with entertainment and a banquet. Yeah, she went ahead with it anyway, even though yeah. the murder took place. I just feel like they probably should have put something more in there to be like, you know, through the sorrow and grief, they persevered, or I don't know. Because, like, I, I didn't realize it until, like, the second reading. I'm like, wait a minute. No, he really is dead. Okay, hold on. And I kind of had to go back and, and figure that out. But, so, I, I guess maybe that is a criticism. I just felt like that was a little hard to follow. But, anyway. Uh, lo- as you said, loved having Marsha Manhunter in there. Loved his, uh, the bat- like you said, the setup for the battle was brilliant. What's going on with Atlanta and her, his, her little handmaiden chick? Where she says, you've always, uh, or is it, you've protected my kind through your entire reign. Yeah, and even Aquaman's like, her kind? Who are they? What did she do? Yeah, that's a little thing that obviously Parker's going to pay off later. Well, do you think it's those people in the undersea cavern? Remember the, the bottom dwellers or whatever they're Right, called? right. Yeah, I don't know. And if you look at that panel... Is it just me, or are that girl in Aquaman supposed to look similar? Uh, that uh, I don't know. Similar I, poses, I, the eyebrows. It just—it almost looked like you're supposed to think. Wait, maybe there's a connection between that girl's people and Aquaman. I mean, she's got purple eyes, like Aqualad. Or is that just a black and white effect? Oh, she does have purple eyes, dude. That's it. She's an Aqualad th- person thing connection. <laughs> yeah, you like how I struggled for the words there. That is totally connected to Aqualad. You are, oh, I hate to say you're brilliant, but you are. Well, I'm not brilliant. It's just that the, the, all of that stuff is in black and white, except for her eyes. Her big close-up shot of her eyes. I, I didn't mention that in the review. I should have. I don't know why. I, it's not like it didn't occur to me, but for some I didn't reason I catch forgot it. to read it. Yeah. I didn't even catch it until I really looked at that. It is totally a connection between her and Garth. Oh, I hope Garth's coming back. That'd be great. I, I also love the little cameo. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Just go for it. A couple panels earlier in the the flashback, you see the fire troll. Really? Is yeah. That, oh, is that what that is? At the bottom, he's yeah, shooting yeah. that flame out of his yeah, mouth. That's yeah. the fire troll. Yeah. But it's it's a fake one though. It's all part of the story. That right, right, out. right, right. Yeah. How funny. Parker loves dropping that stuff in. That's great. So what else can we talk about? Um, so the key or the portal, is that the same one? Is that the same ring or whatever that we from saw? last issue, yeah. Last yeah. issue. Wait, from what, what happened last issue? Help me out. Where they, they click open the portal and they see all the spirits that fill the room and stuff. I don't even remember that. Yeah. <laughs> when Evan, Evans and Shin discover exactly how Atlantis works and then they, they find this little keystone and they plug, they plug it in there and it opens up and it fills that room full of the faces and it looks oh, like yeah, older yeah, guys yeah, and yeah. stuff. So yeah. that's the same ring? Yeah, the same, the little, the key as they're okay. called. Okay. Yeah. Do we know what the Lost Colony is, or is that... I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. Maybe that's the Purple Eyes. Maybe that's where Maybe. she's living, is in the Purple Eye Colony. I don't know. I do like the shapes that Marshmallow took on. Uh, Octopus-like, I guess I'm trying to say. He has the tendrils that come out. Mm-hmm. And he's grabbing. He, he almost takes on sort of an aqua person. You know? And they do some clever stuff, too, where like he, he headbutts Aquaman in reverse. Yeah. Aquaman's yeah, got him from behind, and he grows a head out the back. Blam! <laughs> Aquaman, and then uh, Mara. I love that she attacks with a water person. Yes, almost like nice a Green effect. Lantern construct. Yeah, 
great stuff. Uh, can't wait for the next one. And I, I started thinking about the trade dress. I'm trying to figure out what it's about. I think maybe they're just hoping it will help boost sales. Because a lot of times, an interesting trade dress will get people's attention, and they can quickly identify what issues they need to buy. Mm-hmm. So it maybe it's as simple as that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what I. You know, I mean, it's. You would think when you see this that it's going to be part of you know multi-title thing. So far, I'm glad it's not because enough with those. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, no, it's good. It's uh, it, it does help. You know, I, I'm sure it'll look nice on the trade paperback as well. Yep. So can I say that in terms of the art, um, there's something that Pelletier does almost every issue, and you could say it's becoming almost like a shtick, but I love it anyway. He every issue that he draws mirror, he has at least one panel where it's a below shot. It's from under her chin, and the lighting is a little spooky, and she gets the glowy eyes. And he does it, I think, almost every issue, and every single issue it works for me. It's my favorite shot of mirror, and he does it in this issue. The next to last page, the top panel, she's got her hands going, and it's all glowy, and she says, I can't stand the heat from up here. I'm bringing you back. And he has that same effect, and it looks great every single time he does it. I th- I th- yeah. I've said this before. I think he has a better handle visually on mirror than he does on Aquaman. Uh, not, not that he doesn't on Aquaman, but I think that like it feels like Mira, he's just got it down. Um, so uh, she's damn sexy with his pencil. I'll tell you that. Does a great job. It, I, I said this on the the review of the issue. I who, uh, when DC put this team together, there's no way they could have known what's going to happen because you don't know. You know, you hope the team will click, but you don't know. Um, but these guys have really clicked together and. I don't think anybody would have guessed that this the team that took over for the boys and Johns would be as big a success as they have been because I just think those guys were under the behind the eight ball. Yeah, we can talk about they were like almost set up for failure as we yep, talked about. Yep, yeah, yep. and they have done a tremendous job. So I, I, I am I think Parker is I think Parker really does seem to have a handle on this quite well and and. It's it's been a, a whole lot of fun. He's said he's done a great job, and I've been very amused by the fact that when he misses an issue, people are now upset. Yeah, on on, awesome. on Twitter, people are like, "Oh man," you know that kind of thing. So I, I love the reveal of Martian Manhunter. I think that was really well done in a very fun way. Uh, like I said it's just it's the guys are doing a great job. They really really are. Uh, so I guess we said we're going to take a break. We're going to go back and do Firestorm. So. We are going to listen to the audio uh, from a trailer that, you know, some people have heard of. It's called The Force Awakens. It's a small film. It's an independent thing. Uh, no, we're, we're going to uh, talk about the trailer and other Star Wars-related stuff, I think, next week when we do the feedback episode. We're going to talk about the other things. So we're going to cover all that in the next episode. But until then, we thought, enjoy the 88 seconds. has been an awakening. Have you felt it?
That doesn't sound too bad. No, no. I'm kind of looking forward to it. I think I might go see it. <laughs> Just saying. So, anyway. I mean, I saw Phantom Menace eight times. Doesn't mean I have to see this at least nine times. <laughs> I think you do. I think I you think do. do. It's yeah. episode seven. You have to see it at least seven times. Seven, seven times, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Speaking of which, by the way, uh, there is a connection here, believe it or not. We are covering now The Fury of Firestorm, The Nuclear Man, Issue number 16, cover dated September 1983. But folks, if you want to read this issue, brand spanking new, get in your DeLorean and go back to June 2nd, 1983. Better yet, tell you what, crank that dial back eight more days and go see Return of the Jedi on its opening day. Which I did. Well, there you go. Eight days after Return of the Jedi, this comic came out. Just to, to put that in perspective, how old this comic is, that's the last time we saw the classic group of Star Wars characters that we're going to see again in Episode 7. It's just, wow. like, this comic came out forever ago, and it's hard <laughs> to believe that it's like, wow, that's the last time we, you know, last time we saw the Millennium Falcon in action until this teaser trailer. So The world oof. was still singing the Ewok song. Yub yub, You shouldn't have started me off on that, man. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I do, I do love the new closing for Return of the Jedi, the special edition one too. Actually, the music's really good, but Yub Yub's just special. I miss the Yub Yub. All right, <laughs> we're gonna dive right in here, folks. Uh, this comic is your creative team is. Apparently, page is harder to turn than I expected. Okay. Jerry Conway. <laughs> Jerry Conway, Pat Broderick. I, I should know it by heart. Jerry Conway, Pat Broderick, Roden Rodriguez, Adam Kubert, and G- Gene D'Angelo joint this book is, my friends. And its title is Blackout. Uh, before I jump into this, Rob, I'm just going to ask you one easy question. And uh, don't go into any details if you don't mind. Did, did you enjoy this issue? I did. Okay. Immensely? Uh, immensely? Yeah. Uh, yes. I mean, the we'll get into the, the cover kind of does something. Right. Ugh. The story. The answer, um, the answer you were looking for was yes, Shag. I loved this comic immensely. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm distracted so by the good. fact. I'm, I'm distracted by the fact that on the cover it mentions that I, that I can uh, uh, enroll in the Superman 3 movie sweepstakes. So it's very distracting. <laughs> so Rob's not even going to pay attention to a recap. He's no. just going to read the sweepstakes offer. So yep. good luck with that. Maybe you can be in the bar scene where he's flicking peanuts. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> so as the comic opens, Firestorm is in a complete black void. It's almost like he's in space with no stars. And he's screaming, no, it isn't. It can't be. <laughs> You like my dramatization? I like it. It's yeah. just like one of those graphic audio prisons. It is. <laughs> it's just as good. So, no, not really. Graphic audio is amazing. So anyway, Ronnie and Professor split out of Firestorm, and then they start to have a conversation. The Professor and Ron- Ronnie is just bewildered how they got into this black void, this inky nothingness. And as they're talking, Professor's saying, you don't remember how we got here, Ronnie? And Ronnie's, you know, he has no memory whatsoever of how they got there. So the professor basically is walking him through a memory, uh, or saying helping him remember how they got here by, by going back in time a few days or so, or a day or whatever, and just following the trail of events that led them to this point. And that is the framework for the entire issue. So after each kind of major scene, they do go back to the Black Void, or there's a reference to the Black Void, and Ronnie trying to remember the next thing that happened. So it's very interesting. In fact, uh, as, the, as I said, the issue's framed that way. There's this one panel they show, a skinny, wide panel of Ronnie's eyes. 
and his eyes looked very glazed over, or like he's in shock or something. And they repeat that panel five times throughout the comic. So it's very effectively done. So, um, as Ronnie's starting to remember, they decide uh, what, the, what the first scene Ronnie remembers is as Firestorm, they fly over to check out the bad guys' headquarters from last issue. As you re- may recall, they fought Multiplex and the Enforcer, and they at the end of the battle, they left them for the cops. And they're and Firestorm's wondering why hasn't Multiplex, who he believes has been arrested. Why haven't they revealed Firestorm's secret identity to the news? They expect it to be plastered all over the news by this point. So they go to check it out, and they, they buzz by a GBS newscopter, and the reporter there reveals to him that Multiplex actually escaped, and Firestorm's enraged and flies off. So it's interesting to me, as I was reading this, I was a little confused. I'm like, Firestorm's acting kind of weird. Then I realized Ronnie and the professor sort of consider that the adventure in the previous issue was done. They felt like they built, the, they defeated the multiplex and the enforcer, and they thought the adventure was done. They didn't. They didn't know anything about the two thousand committee. They don't know anything about Clarissa Clemens' involvement. They don't know the multiplex escaped. They don't know about uh, Henry Hewitt. They don't know any of that. But as a reader, we do. So it's sort of interesting that we forget that Ronnie and the professor are really in the dark on what's going on here. They thought this was done. So anyway, now they know Multiplex is on the loose, and so they, they take off. Then that we the next scene, we get Ronnie and the Professor split. Professor's like, well, wait a minute. I thought we were going after Multiplex. Ronnie's like, I got to get to school. I'm running late. And if I could remember the lines from Back to the Future that he uses about being late to school, I would use that. So Ronnie heads off to school. He runs into Principal Hapgood, who asks Ronnie to come to his office. Ronnie's not in trouble, though. The principal just wants to talk to him. And we're reminded that the Principal Hapgood knows Ronnie's father, Ed Raymond. And we find out that Ronnie and his dad are from, wait for it, Eugene, Oregon, which is only a few scant miles from my beloved Portland, Oregon. And by few scant miles, I think I mean three hours. But either way, it doesn't matter. It's still still Oregon. Exactly. I'm so excited by that. So... I may go try and find their ancestral home. I'm just saying. <laughs> so the principal is clearly trying to reach out to Ronnie and make a connection with him, but he's not really saying anything. He's asking Ronnie a lot of questions. In fact, at the end, uh, the, the, the principal sort of clams up, as Ronnie puts it, and doesn't say what he wants to say. So it's this great moment where the, prof- or where the principal says, I'm glad we could have this talk. And Ronnie's like, in his head, going, what talk? All he did was ask me some questions. What's going on? So clearly the principal wants to make a connection with Ronnie, but he's nervous about something. Then Ronnie overhears a news report where the liberal Senator Riley is is defending his decision to vote for a nuclear monopoly, which goes completely against his ethics. And, he, and Ronnie knows that he shouldn't have voted that way, and they're wondering why. And they sort of infer that Lorraine, the news reporter infers that Lorraine Riley, Ronnie's sort of love interest, might be in trouble. So Back to Firestorm. Fazam! And they fly off to Washington, D.C. to investigate. Professor Stein doesn't want to. He wants to turn the situation over to the FBI. But Ronnie just goes, no, no, we're going to handle this. So they go to Washington, D.C. They go, they fly into the U.S. Capitol building and interrupt a tour, which I was on this summer, which is kind of cool. Firestorm didn't fly through at that time. I was a little disappointed. Anyway. And uh, he flies right into, the, into Senator Riley's office fuses the door shut, which is pretty cool, because you don't find out that's what he did till like, a few pages later. I dig that. And they, and they have a discussion. Then, all of a sudden, Multiplex appears in this teleporter that Ronnie, or Firestorm, says is even more advanced than the JLA one. Multiplex gets the drop on Firestorm, sort of knocks him down, and the senator is captured. A bunch of Marines barge in to confront Firestorm, and he melts their guns. So now he is sufficiently pissed off the U.S. military. 
first one flies away and decides to go see his dad, uh, Ronnie's dad, because Ronnie's dad works for a newspaper, the Daily Express, and he might have some sort of insight into what's going on, and specifically this company Hewitt that Ronnie heard mentioned has got the nuclear monopoly. So they go to visit the dad as, as Ronnie Raymond, and we get actually a flashback within a flashback, which is sort of interesting, where Ronnie's dad got a threatening call, a phone call, and he yells things like, leave my kid out of this. He yells, 15 years they've been out of my life, and now they're back. And Ronnie's boss is basically saying that his that Ronnie's dad, Ed Raymond, was angry and in a panic and stormed out. Now Ronnie's very worried about his dad, regardless of his relationship with his father. Now, remember I mentioned to you we've got that black void with the framing sequence? We're back to that again. There's more of this framing sequence, and Ronnie is having an even harder time remembering what happens next. And he's starting to get to the point where he doesn't want to remember what happens next. And... Um, so, Professor continues to coax the memories out of him. Ronnie remembers flying home to check on his dad as Firestorm. Uh, they're flying, they're arriving by, to the house, and they see a man walking into the house, presumably his dad, and the house explodes. And Ronnie's dad is caught in the explosion. Turns out that the black void that they're in is basically Ronnie's mental breakdown. This explosion has just happened seconds ago, and Ronnie's brain couldn't handle it, and the professor and Ronnie were thrown into this black void, and all this discussion, all the recap, everything that's happened has happened in just the last couple seconds, and on the, in the last page is Ronnie, or Firestorm, I should say, on the ground, on his knees, completely distraught, uh, muttering to himself, uh, basically over the, the burning body of, of, of Ronnie's father. Now, what I didn't tell you folks was the cover. I skipped the cover to come back to this point, and it actually all works brilliantly. The cover is a Dick, uh, not, uh, is a Pat Project Dick Giordano cover, and it is Firestorm floating in the air. It's a shot for aerial shot from above, looking down at Ronnie's house. There's a massive explosion. You see Ronnie's father caught up in the explosion, burning up in a giant ball of fire, and Firestorm is screaming, "Dad!" And the reason this works so well is because the whole issue is a flashback. I mean, it takes place immediately after Ronnie's father's killed. So you get the cover of the explosion, then you get the whole issue of them in denial, and you come right back to the same subject. So while it is spoiled for you, as I think Rob was hinting at in the beginning, uh, it all works, though. Because it's okay if it's spoiled for you, because you know it's all leading to Ronnie basically having a psychological breakdown. So, okay, Rob. <laughs> well, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you, you you can look at the cover. I mean, so many comic covers, especially from this era, have stuff that don't actually happen. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really spoil it because you see it and you're like, oh, my God, that's terrible. But you also figure this probably doesn't really happen in the book. And then you find out, of course, it does exactly happen in the book. Um, it reminds me a little bit of uh, I remember reading about um, in Star Trek Two the reason that they kill Sp- Spock in the Kobayashi Maru sequence in the beginning was to throw people off because they knew people had heard Spock dies ah. in that movie. And they're like, well, let's kill him off fake in the beginning. And people will think, oh, he doesn't really die. This was all a blind. And then, of course, spoiler alert, he does die <laughs> at the end of <laughs> at the end of the film. So it was Damn like a it, double Rob. Blind. Yeah, sorry. Uh, so it was like a double blind. So I, I mean, the cover is great visually. I really, I really think it's nice. I love the little flame effect over the logo that is bleeding through the flame. Yeah, over the logo. Um, structurally, I think it's a really clever thing that Jerry did. Um, mm-hmm. So far, these issues have been pretty straightforward in terms of their storytelling, uh, and then this one, he sort of flips all that and and sort of messes with. The, the, 
time periods and the, you know, so the, it was, it, it's good. It's a good job. I mean, you said it's a nice way to mess with your expectations as to what exactly is going on. And the last page is really, you know, pretty powerful as it really is that he's, you know, he's not dealing well with this yeah. uh, catastrophic event. Uh, the cover is, and I think I said the last episode, is like one of the most horrifying covers uh, of any comic. I mean, if you could imagine something like this happening to a family member. Oh, my God. And you actually see the body. Yeah. <laughs> it's really gross. Just burning up. Ugh. Being blasted actually away from the house and burning up. Ugh. You see their little fingers and everything. Yeah. It's a... Uh, I the first time I read, I want to say the first time I read this I got teary eyed. It was just that even though I knew that's where the ending was going, and you could tell early on, like I, I was able to figure out pretty early on that this was Ronnie blo- blocking it out, purposely having trouble coping. You know, I could kind of figure out that's where this was going, and just following Ronnie through the journey, knowing that's your destination, and finally getting there and just feeling so sorry for Ronnie for what he's going through. It's just like, oh my gosh. What a sucker punch. And, you know, and then you think about this as a kid, you know, I, I don't know when I first got exposed to you know, pop psychology, because this is clearly pop psychology, not like real psychology. And, and I don't know when I first got exposed to pop psychology, but it's, it's, fa- it's always been fascinating to me on how your brain, like what you perceive is reality. It doesn't matter what's actually happening around you. What you perceive is what your reality is. And for Ronnie, his reality just stopped at that moment. And he just shut down. And so that was the Ronnie's world was that blackness at that moment. It's just that kind of stuff always fascinated me, especially when I was younger. So this thing was right in my wheelhouse. So, and again, that, 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 I love the once you step away from the issue and you get done reading it and you realize, oh, the cover is almost like the first page of the comic. Because that happens and then you have Ronnie having his breakdown. Mm-hmm. So it works really nicely. So Yeah, structurally, it's, it's really well done. Yep. And you also you get other stuff. You get you get your fun moments where Ronnie's with the GBS helicopter. I didn't exp- I didn't go into the detail of it in my recap, but Ronnie's actually goofing around with the helicopter. He's like bragging and stuff, and the professor's calling him on it. It's funny. And then you get some mystery with like what's going on with the senator. Even though we have some idea, you see Firestorm trying to solve the mystery. You see some action where he's in the U.S. Capitol and he's you know fusing the door, and then he's dealing with the, the Marines. You get lots of splash pages, lots of them. Page sixteen is one of my favorites. It's not a splash page, but there's this great. Uh, thing here where Ronnie's flying away from the U.S. Capitol and Professor Stein's floating head is actually straddling the page, the, the panel borders. So he's in both panels, but he's floating across the middle of it. It's a, it's a clever technique they did with the um, with the surprint of the just the blue surprint, which is mm-hmm. nice. So I used the word properly, didn't I? You did. I know. I'm so proud of myself. And you get multiplex. I mean, it's a really well-rounded issue. You get lots of different scenes. You, you get Ronnie's father. You get, you get caught up with the sub-characters. So all in all, this is probably one of my favorite issues we've covered yet. The JLA should have hired uh, multiplex to design their teleportation bubbles if his technology is so much better. JLA should have hired Pat Broderick to draw their comic. Well, that, in well. the 1980s, he totally. I mean, after Perez left, he totally should have been drawing this book. Well, they had. Well, Chuck I don't want to take away from Chuck Patton. Well, hold yeah. on. Okay, hold on. Uh, once Chuck left, and before Luke McDonald came on, maybe. Okay, so. or <laughs> right, or after Perez, but before Chuck Patton. There you go. That would work. Don Heck, maybe. Like yeah. That. Oh, yeah. That's true. So, um, again, one of my favorite issues. I love it. Uh, the the psychology issue of it is powerful. The scene on page 22 where Ronnie's dad is blasted out the door. Oh my gosh, it's so horrifying. 
So, and now is also now if you look back, okay, Ronnie's dad is dead. The principal was trying to reach out to Ronnie. Was the principal trying to warn him? You know, is that connection with the principal going to play a role in subsequent issues? Now, those of you who obviously know where this is going, try not to spoil it in your comments too much. You know. Because uh, other people don't know where this is going. I, I don't. I haven't read ahead yet. So like, I Rob hasn't read ahead, so I don't really want to spoil it in the comments. You know, feel free to address what happens in this issue, but don't give away wherever the story might be going, please. So, because um, I, I, I just love the, I love the build of it. I love where it's going. We've got what is this? this is sixteen? So we have seventeen, eighteen in the annual, and that's it. And then the story's done. It still would make like the best Firestorm trade paperback. So. Mm-hmm. It's got to happen, right? Hey, come on. Firestorm's on the friggin' Flash TV series. They've got to do some Flash first. Maybe you need to have. Maybe you need to start an initiative on Firestorm fans. Maybe, or we talk about things on the podcast and they happen, right? Like Star that's Wars true. Episode Seven. Yes, so, that's right. Uh, we should talk about that. There should be a tr- trade paperback collection of Firestorm, Fury Firestorms, you know, Jerry Conway and Pat Ma- Project's work. Don't you think? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There we go. Okay, an absolute edition. Uh, oh gosh <laughs> let's not get the cart before the horse so. okay. <laughs> alright folks uh, coming up next we are going to do some of your feedback from the previous episode of, specifically from episode 105 our last month's review ish, ep, ish, issue episode what am I trying to say episode. Our, our last review episode where we covered Aquaman number 35 and Fury of Fire number 15 we've gathered together your comments and your social media stuff and we just want to give a shout out to all of you you guys have been so great the, the support for this podcast is amazing. I, a month, a week, or not even a month, week to week, I'm astounded by the number of people that um, you know give us feedback, that support us, that help promote our show. You got you know, give us reviews on iTunes. You guys are the absolute best, the single best podcasting listening community in the world. I say it every time we do feedback, and I really mean that. So thank you guys so much. Please keep it coming because Rob's uh, ego is really fragile, and he needs that, that constant true. feedback. That is true. And uh, if you do talk about us on the social medias, please use the hashtag #PoundFWPodcast. It will be sure that we see the feedback, other people will catch up with it, and uh, we'll continue to build this community of matchheads and aquanauts and nuclear subs. So, I uh, just on a side note, uh, the uh, fourth prize in the Superman Three sweepstakes was a uh, jar of Superman peanut butter. Its strength is its great taste. I took a sip of Diet Mountain Dew at that moment because I thought I had a moment where I could, and I almost did a Danny Tate, Danny K. Spit take all over my computer. <laughs> uh, anyway, peanut butter is any good still. Feedback, feedback wise, uh, we got a comment from Earth to Chris, my co-host on the Power Records podcast and the co-host of his own podcast, Supermates Podcast. Am I the only one who finds it funny that Aquaman just started an art called Maelstrom, which is a word you don't hear often, while Disney shuts down their long-running Maelstrom ride at Walt Disney World's Epcot Park to put in a Frozen attraction? Okay, <laughs> it is just me. <laughs> nice to hear Paul Pelletier is well-liked by Aqua fans. I enjoyed his runs on various titles in the late 90s, early aughts, like Titans and Flash. In the age of a lot of murky art, his clean classic style is very refreshing. So Ronnie got some action, huh? This shows how progressive <laughs> DC was getting at the time. Around the same time, it was heavily hinted that Robin and Starfire were sleeping together, even before the famous bedroom scene in New Teen Titans number one. When Starfire comes out wearing Dick Grayson's shirt and he is shirtless, well, it's not hard to put two and two together. And I just threw that in because I know how much Shag loves Starfire. <laughs> Uh, if you if you're gonna get me on board with Starfire, having her naked, having sex is probably the way to do that. So, um, heard from our buddy Kyle Benning, who's also part of the Legion of Super Bloggers. He said, um, 
great way to start the Aquaman arc. I'm all about the mythos building of Atlantis. I love that sort of mythology and history as history aspect of mysterious civilizations and comics. Man, do I love this Firestorm issue. We're really in the heart of the best Firestorm stories ever during this run, or at least my favorite of the character. Can't wait for coverage of the next issue. Well, Kyle, hope we didn't disappoint. And yes, I agree. This is this is the prime run of Jerry Conway and Pat Broderick stuff. Now, that's not to say Raphael Cannon and, and Jerry Conway don't have some great stuff ahead, but of the Broderick um, issues, I think I think this is it. This is the, this is the bomb diggity. You like that? Bomb diggity? Now that's the pull quote for the Absolute Edition. Yep, there it is right there. Shag Matthews, it's the bomb diggity. So, heard from our buddy Diablo Frank from the Marvel Superheroes podcast. He says, I like the Maelstrom name and trade dress. Don't recall much fuss being made in the solicitation, and next month's guest appearance by Martian Manhunter was played so vague that he wasn't even mentioned in the copy. Is this some sort of stealth event? Anyway, glad the podcast has me up to speed before reading my first issue in over a year. So... This uh, Maelstrom and Martian Manhunter brought Frank back to the comic. Good deal. Yay. Can't wait to hear what he says about it. And he says, It occurs to me that the Firestorm title has accumulated a lot of boundary crossing over its short run. From the nude debut of the teenage boy aging professor Gestalt Crusader, to the constant gender-bending villains, to the underage sex sex capades, I can't say it, and allusions to wife-beating. I think I'm starting to understand Shag better. (laughs) Dick. Ouch. So. Uh, we got a lot of love on Twitter, so I'm going to go through that list here. We got something from at Tar- uh, Tardis Captain underscore P, who is Carl Stark. He says that regarding this issue of Firestorm, this is the issue that introduced me to the character of Firestorm. Uh, we also got comments from Kyle Pratt, Scott McEwen, BVS 2016, Pedro Perez, Patrick at 1031 Arctic, Dustin Stauffer, Tony D, Comic Book Worm, Randy Micah Smith, Oscar Olade, Vict- Victoria at Green Clawed Wit. And over on Google Plus, we got comments from or support from Dale Russell, Kichi Baker, Carl Brusades, Kevin Culp, Eric DeFratis, and Rasheen Washington. Awesome. Over on Instagram, uh, keep in mind uh, names on Instagram are usually a little sketchy. Don't usually get people's real names, so I'm just going to persevere through here. We heard from DC Dill, Johnny Panic 40, Latin Negro, Timothy 2X Granberry, JD McLean, Zucas Zork, or Lucas Zork, CJ Hooper, Ben Caddy. Cody at Comics Binding, Elysier Fishman, Don and Ron Williams, The Flash Comics TV, or I guess he goes by Alex, Robert Pend, Comic Book Fan, The Joe, A. Helson, Jared Tay, Ben Vogel, Bailey Ewing, Kichi Baker, Mr. Toy Guy, Superman 1955, The Superheroes Corner, Mason Arnold, Geek Freak 223, The Flash Podcast, Vicky Gatanis, who happens to be my neighbor, Blizzard Fangirl, Evan Victor Fernandez, Bogl Boglarka Arakis? I don't even know how to do that. How you say that? <laughs> when I typed that up, I was like, "Really? Did someone lose his Scrabble?" Anyway, Noel Elamillo, uh, Boudreaux M, and the Toy Geek. Over at Tumblr, Mister Perturbed and N Eight Atkinson. Thanks, guys. Yep. Over on Facebook, we heard from Zeb Oswald. He said, cool podcast as always. I might have to watch the Flash TV show at some point. Yes, Zeb, you're going to have to watch the Flash TV show. No deal. No, 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 no if, and, or buts about that. So, Then we got support from Philip Stark, Ryan Wing, Keechee Baker, Luke Dom, Ruth Sutherland, Sam Lowe, Levi T, Calum Nauer, Chris, uh, Christian Pettinato, Rick Weiss, Sage Williams, Chris Hayes, Antonio Trujillo, Anthony King, Steve Atwell, Mark 
Oh, you're kidding me. Mark Alijunzak. Come on, Mark. Really? <laughs> Facebook will let you change that. I'm telling you, man. Mike Halloran. Kenneth Spicer. Oscar Olelelelele. William Boyd. Stephen Morell. Brad O'Leary. Wes Hupp. Ho- uh, Joseph Rice. Max Romero. Jeffrey Brown. Gene Hendricks. Sean Brock. Michael Wagner. Marcos Vilvelia. Adam Guerin. Alexandre Cesar Monsores, Ronnie Ling, Mike Frederick, and Daniel Senegal Adams. And then we got a great comment. I think sums up the whole thing here. Christopher Pedraza said, "Can DC Comics put the entire Firestorm series on digital already, please?" I think that kind of sums it all up, don't you? I think so. Yep. All right, folks. That is going to do it for this episode of the Fire and Water Podcast. Please uh, check out our Tumblr, where we're going to post a couple of pages from these issues. Rob, what's that Tumblr address? Fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com, and the email address is firewaterpodcast.comcast.net. Awesome. You can find me on firestormfan.com. You can also find me on the social medias at the same handle as uh, on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, and Instagram. And uh, you can find my good friend Rob at AquamanShrine.net. You can find him under the Aquaman Shrine handle on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. And I hear he might even start a Pinterest page sooner or later. Well, I don't know where you heard that. On a, it was written on a bathroom wall. Well, that is possible. <laughs> In Philadelphia, your hometown. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, folks, thanks for listening. And uh, until next time, fan the flame and ride the wave. Bye. Aquaman and Firestorm Fighting crime together Soak them down or burn them up No one does it better Whenever you find trouble They'll always be there To catch them in a bubble Or even torch their hair Stand for truth and justice And see on land and air Firestorm and Aquaman They make a super pair Aquaman Super friends forever. Yeah! When it's time for adventure, it's time for Superman. Alexander Salkine presents Christopher Reeve and Richard Pryor in Superman 3.